Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52. I'm uh, continuing on Sunday nights until our baby comes to just preach one verse for the most part. I, I may end up going off of that, but right now just reading a verse and, and mining out of it as much as, I, as much as I can find there, and I'm turning that into a sermon. So tonight will be Isaiah 52, verse 7. Um, back in 2020, um, we, we, we saw just how much the human heart craves sharing bad news. Um, that was one of our hobbies in 2020, wasn't it? Um, for some reason, we like hearing it too. I don't understand why, but we, something something messed up inside of us craves hearing bad news for some reason. We hate it, but it also comforts us in some way. Um, you know you do that or else you wouldn't watch the news all the time. Um, you subject yourself to that all the time for some reason. Um, it, it's, it, it got to be a depressing time in 2020. People had a lot of free time at home when they were stuck at home, so they, they, they just started sharing every bit of bad news that they heard on social media. Some of it true, some of it not. And, um, and, and, and that was our hobby during 2020. Um, it, got, it was that depressing time because we couldn't go anywhere, and we were spending more time online than ever, and online was a cesspool of bad news. And so we just hit share over and over and over and over. It was during this time that um, there was an actor named John Krasinski who started an internet news show, and he called it Some Good News. That, that was the name of it. He did it online. He started it on a webcam in his home office. It was nothing professional. Um, it was just this guy uh, collecting news stories from around the world that were good news stories, and he would share them like a news anchor. Um, and it was a breath of fresh air when he did that. Um, we, we were all hungry to hear about something good happening in the world. And that's what he brought together in that. The sinful heart loves and craves to hear and share bad news. But in reality, we're all dying to hear some good news as well. And we as Christians should be the first to be sharing good news because we have the best news in all the world. We have the good news that the entire world needs, yet we rarely share it. And so let's see what Isaiah 52.7 says about that. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Let's be honest, and this may gross you out to think about, but let's be honest, feet are nasty. Feet are nasty. About the only doctors that have a worse job than a foot doctor is a proctologist. Feet are nasty. They're nasty. And the older you get, the nastier your feet get. It's just the truth. Um, when we were at that senior, when we were at that uh, uh, 
Gospel Music Fest a couple months ago. Uh, Mark Lowry was talking, and he talked about how he's gotten to the point where his um, toenails look like corn chips. And I haven't been able to eat Fritos the same ever since um, because of that. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I don't know, 12 or 13, I got a planter's wart on the bottom of my foot. And I didn't know what that was. I thought it was just a sore that was going to heal. So I didn't do anything about it for months. Just left it there. And it spread all over the place. I had like 10 or 11 on my feet. Had to go get them froze off. That was extremely painful. They charge like $1,000. And then they take that cold stuff and just pour it in the hallway. And we're like, what are you doing if that's that expensive? Um, but, 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 but feet are nasty. When you get into bunions and athlete's foot and ingrown toenails and all the rest, feet are just gross. In America, most of us have pampered feet, don't we? Some of us have well over 10 pairs of shoes, especially if you're female. Our feet are in, a, are in pretty good shape compared to a lot of other people around the world. In Isaiah's day, when he wrote this, feet would have been even more nasty. If people wore shoes in that day, they, um, they definitely weren't Nike, let's put it that way. Probably open-toed, probably walking around in dirt and grime through the streets. Um, because understand, the streets have the normal mud and dirt that a street has. But remember, in that day, um, you've got animals going around everywhere, so there's manure all over the streets. And then also, they don't have the same kind of sewage that we do, so we're just going to put it this way. It runs out in the street. And so you're walking around in that all day. You would have just walked through it. That's why the most humble act a person could do was washing someone's feet. Because it's nasty. Isaiah, in verse 7 of chapter 52, says, There are certain feet that are beautiful, though. As nasty as feet are, there are some feet that are beautiful. What, what feet are beautiful? It's, it's the feet of those who proclaim good news. That's what he says. We must be proclaiming good news. We must be opening up our mouth and speaking good news. What good news? We'll get to that in a minute. But so often we don't do this. We'd rather walk around in a pig pen and proclaim bad news than proclaim good news. He calls it beautiful feet, which um, isn't necessarily exactly what the verse is saying, but but could be implying um, a a life of holiness. Um, Before we get to proclaiming good news, we we live a life of holiness. We're we're living a faithful life to Jesus, um, abstaining from sin and walking in righteousness. Um, while that, that's not necessarily the point of this passage, um, it is an implication that we keep our feet beautiful. We keep the feet that we're proclaiming good news with beautiful. So Adrian likes um, two or three times a year to get, to get a pedicure. She, she goes and gets a pedicure. She just got one a couple weeks ago. And she, gets, um, she tends to get her toenails painted with, with glitter, um, gold glitter, pink glitter, something like that. The reason she does that is that um, over time, the... Toenail polish chips, as I'm sure some of you ladies know. Over time, the, the toenail polish chips, but when the glitter is the, is the color, it, you don't see the chipping because it kind of shines on each other. You, you don't notice it. Um, women get pedicures to keep their feet looking beautiful in the same way we seek to keep our spiritual feet beautiful. Christians are to live holy lives, holy lives, keeping ourselves unstained from the evil of the world. We, we see a reference to this kind of thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. 
verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We walk in holiness. Part of having a faithful witness in the world implies keeping your life free from sin, keeping your life beautiful, walking in righteousness. We're, of course, still going to sin, but there's a big difference in um, slipping and falling into a swimming pool and walking up on a diving board and jumping headfirst in. There's a big difference in those two things. There's the, and there's also a big difference in the sins that the world actively practice and the sins everybody struggles with. When I was an actor, um, as you may remember, I was an actor before I was called into ministry, did several low-budget movies, um, did, did a commercial at one point, auditioned for a couple plays. And um, um, uh, when I was an actor, I would have uh, the moment come where I was going to have to do something for acting that was sinful. Um, us- most common thing was, was saying a cuss word on camera. Um, I was a Christian at this point. Um, but while I disagree with what, what I would do today, there were cuss words I, I would say for acting and ones that I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't say the really bad ones because I would say it'll hurt my witness to do it. Now, today I would just draw the line. I'm not going to say any, but, but at that point I was younger and less mature. And um, it's, it's really hard to be a witness for Jesus and call people to turn from their sins when they can watch a movie where you're being a sinner on it, right? Um, you don't get much of a hearing with dirty feet like that. We have to live with beautiful feet. I hate the day we live in where um, sometimes I feel like I have to apologize for this very teaching. Um, I I feel like I have to give caveats to this teaching. Um, God God calls us to be holy, and when I preach that, I feel like I have to apologize because I can hear the objections people say. Well, you don't know the struggles I go through. Why are you judging me? You you, You need to get to know me before you judge me. Only God can judge me, and that should scare you to death. He does judge you. I I don't get the power to judge you. I just get the power to speak the truth. God does the judging, and he calls you to be holy as he is holy, and he has grace in place, not so you can sin, but but for the fact that you're going to fall short of his standard, and he knows that. So, so this verse says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. N- notice that. He says the feet, not the mouth. D- n- f- feet do something they normally don't do in this verse, right? Feet proclaim. Do feet talk? No. Feet walk. Mouths talk. In this passage, it's the feet that do the proclaiming. It's the feet that are beautiful, not the mouths. You have to take steps to do this. That's why it's the feet. You have to move from your current spot and go places to announce good news. That's the difference in um, evangelism today versus 20 or 30 years ago. Um, Things have changed culturally. There's a change that happened. Um, Cultural Christianity has all but died out in our culture. Um, It's very rare for for someone to be culturally Christian, especially since COVID, especially since 2015 when gay marriage was legalized, especially as the transgender movement has begun. Um, It's just becoming less and less popular to be a Christian, and it's only those people who um, faithfully follow the Lord who are going to hold on. Um, We we don't get much cultural advantages for being a Christian anymore. So most people don't have the respect for church that they did decades ago. 
30 years ago, you could bet on it to be good evangelism to um, just expect that lost people were going to show up at church because you're going to, um, maybe you're a businessman and you're going to um, find clients at church. Maybe you um, are a, um, I, I don't know, a, a, the, the mayor and you want to be near your constituents. Um, but that doesn't happen much anymore. A lot of, a lot of people don't respond to, um, a, a lot of people don't just show up at church anymore. And actually, a lot of people don't really respond to coming forward anymore. Um, so we had the Good Friday service last week at Brody Field. Um, very good event, but um, at the end, the evangelist gave an invitation. Several of us went out to be counselors for people to come out and receive Jesus um, and talk through that. And so about 30 of us stood out there to be counselors, and nobody came. Nobody. We all, like, eventually I just walked back to my seat because we were standing there for so long. No one came. That means one of two things. Either only church people came to the event, or everyone that was there thought they were saved. We put out an invite to come to church and to church events, and apparently no lost people came to the event. Or if they did, they didn't respond. Today, if we're going to reach the lost, we're going to have to go outside these walls to do it. We're going to have to go outside these walls and go to them. This is why we're doing the Hymn Sing It Legacy next week. This is why Adrian and I go to the, every Monday night to the BCM. This is why I try to write my sermons in coffee shops and not in my office. We, we've got to be out among the community. That's how we're going to reach them. We, we've got to do that. We can't just expect lost people to walk through those doors randomly on a Sunday morning because that's less and less likely in the day that we live in. It's not that it can't happen. I mean, I'm sure it, it can happen. It does happen in some churches every now and then, but usually it doesn't anymore. That they will come if you personally invite them. If you invite a lost person, statistically speaking, they're likely to come to church. But if we're just expecting them on their own volition to walk in the door on a Sunday, it's probably not going to happen. That 99.99% of the time, that doesn't happen anymore especially at a church like ours in the middle of a cotton field. We have to go to them. Where do we go? Well, notice, where does he say the feet are at? On the mountains. On the mountains. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet that bring good news. Not a lot of mountains in Tifton, Georgia, are there? If Rod Griffin was here, I would make a joke. Um, that's why he's gone all the time to the mountains, but uh, there's not a lot of mountains in Tifton, Georgia, are there? There's not even a lot of hills in Tifton, Georgia. Um, back during COVID, early on in COVID, when Easter season rolled around, I filmed various videos to post on social media for Easter week. So I did a video for each day of the week in Easter week to share with Facebook what, what was happening on that day. And I remember Tuesday is when Jesus does the, uh, uh, the, the Olivet Discourse. He goes up on the Mount of Olives and he um, preaches to the disciples. And for that video, I was going to film it on a, on a hill. So they carried the idea. And I remember I texted Howard and I said, where's a good hill for me to film a video on? And he said, uh, maybe over there at that cabin on Widden Mill Road. And I drove over there, and I'm like, this ain't a hill. But it's the best we got. It's the best we got. So, so if we have no mountains, or if we have no hills here, what, where do we proclaim? If we're to be doing this upon the mountains, where do we proclaim? Well, imagine the significance of mountains in the ancient world. Imagine the significance. They didn't have anything we do. 
Um, so they didn't have weather radar. They, they didn't have drones to see approaching armies. They, they didn't have anything like that. Mountains are the best place to see a wide variety of places, right? So when, when Adrian and I went to Arizona a couple years ago, we were at this, um, uh, it, was a, uh, desert muse- it was a desert zoo pretty much. You go there, you get to see all the desert animals. And at this one part that we were at, um, we were on this hill, and you could see probably 20 miles that way. This wasn't a mountain or anything. It was just a flat terrain. But we saw a storm approaching slowly toward us, and pretty soon it was raining on us. I mean, it was just a really surreal thing seeing that storm cloud right there. You could see the rain falling, and it kept getting closer and closer and closer. There are some places that when you, you're up on those mountains, you can see a long way. Um, in the Smoky Mountains, there's um, Klingman's Dome, if you've ever been there. Um, if the sky, it's the highest point in the Smoky Mountains, I think the highest place in the eastern part of the United States, I could be wrong on that, but if the sky is clear in that place, you can see into seven states, seven states. From the mountains, on top of that, on top of the fact that you can see everybody else on the mountains, everyone can see you. You, you can get word to most of the people. It's, if I'm yelling down to people off of a hill, they can hear me a lot better than if somebody's yelling up to the top of a hill because sound carries in that way. Simply this, proclaim the good news in the places that are best to proclaim the good news in your life. Think about your own life. Where can you be best used to proclaim the gospel? Where? Where can you have the best witness? So, so a place I'm probably not going to have much witness is Tift Area football games. I've been to a couple to support our youth, but like I, I don't go there every, every week. Um, I've been to one or two, but I would be a complete stranger to most of those people. But there's people in our church that would be a great witness at that place. Um, they're there all the time. So they have the relationships, and they, they talk to people there all the time, and it's a great pl- place that they have that bridge built. Where do you proclaim? Well, I always lay out five different spheres of life that you can proclaim the good news in, places you know you're going to be, places you know you're going to have relationships, places you can build um, those bridges well and then share the gospel. Let me remind you what those five are because it's been a while since I've shared them. First of all, your family and your friends. Your family and your friends. These are often the hardest to witness to, but the ones you have the best hearing with. We're scared to talk with our family and friends because we assume that the minute we mention Jesus, they're going to get mad at us and not talk to us anymore, but probably not. If you have a strong relationship with your family, it's probably not going to tank your entire relationship to share Jesus with them. And they trust you the the most to hear from you. Secondly is work. Work. If you're still working, you're at work more than you're at home, at least awake. Um, you're, you're asleep eight hours every day at home. You're at work eight hours every day. That leaves commute and being at home for the other eight hours and anything else that you do. What bridges has God built with you? If you're still working, what bridges has God built with you at work to where you can be a witness for Christ? Thirdly is your neighborhood, your neighborhood, which some of you living in Chula don't have one. But for those of you who have a neighborhood... Um, listen to what Acts 17.26 says. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all, all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. God put you where you live. 
You are placed in your, if you live in a neighborhood, you're placed in your neighborhood for a reason. You don't live in your house by accident. God placed you where you are. So, so how can you use that to share the good news? Fourthly, hobbies. Hobbies. Hobbies can be anything. What, what, do, you, what do you do on a regular basis that's not work or home? It might be the gym. Uh, maybe you love food, and so it's the restaurants that you eat at regularly. Maybe it's the movie theater. Maybe it's the golf course. Maybe it's the hair salon. Maybe it's your kids' and grandkids' sports. Like, where has God built bridges for you to bear witness in those places? Ask yourself that. And then finally, strangers. Strangers. This is anywhere else. Places you might encounter people once in a while, but you're, you're not regularly seeing them. You're not regularly interacting with them. These are strangers. Um, this might be the clerk at the grocery store. This might be your waitress at Cracker Barrel. One thing that I hear people do a lot, I, I don't do this because I feel kind of, I feel like I'm, you know, doing a sales pitch or something, but people are really, some people are really good at this, is that when they are being waited on by the waitress and they're ordering, they'll ask the waitress, hey, um, we're about to pray before our food. Is there anything we could pray for you for? Um, I always feel kind of sales pitchy when I do that, but there's some people who do that very well. And so maybe that's where, the, where God gives you a hearing. These are people you will probably never see again or may only see very quickly from time to time. You're not going to be building any relationship with these people, but maybe there's a chance for a hearing of the gospel with them. Where has God built those bridges? Think through these different spheres. Where do you have the most influence and can be the best witness? It's going to differ person to person. Each of us has different um, places that, that God has done that. Each of us has gifted us in certain ways. Each of us has given us special hearing in certain places that he hasn't given to other people. God hasn't equipped everyone to be a witness in their workplace, and that's okay. God hasn't, not everyone lives in a neighborhood, so God hasn't equipped you to live, to witness in a neighborhood if you live on a plot of land in the middle of, you know, surrounded by no other houses, not everyone has a strong relationship with their family, so maybe that's not the place. Um, I don't have much of a relationship at all with any of my cousins. I've got like 25 cousins when you bring them all together in my family, but we didn't spend much time together as kids, so it'd be really hard for, for me to witness to them in that way. Figure out where God has built bridges for you and walk on those bridges and use that. How do you proclaim? How do you proclaim the good news on the mountains. Well, um, the, the best way, honestly, is through conversations. You're going to be talking to people every day, right? Use those conversations. We're not talking about you open-air preaching in Walmart. Like, God calls people to open-air preach. It'd be kind of funny to see somebody doing it in Walmart, but God calls people to open-air preach, but most of us are going to share the gospel through everyday conversations that we already have. As you interact with people in your daily life, where do you have the best place to be heard by them? That is your mountain to proclaim the good news on. So how do you start that conversation? Because that's always the hard part for me. Probably the biggest reason I don't share my faith enough is I don't know how to start the conversation often. It feels kind of corny when you think of ways to start it, right? Once I heard about a guy out at lunch with his pastor at Subway, and the pastor, um, they were in line, you know, getting their sandwich made. And um, the, the pastor looked at the person making his sandwich and said, Hey, um, do you believe that sandwich can feed 5,000 people? And the kid, the you know, high school teenager said, Well, no, of course not. And the pastor said, Then you don't know my God. 
All right, that, that's kind of weird, let's just be honest. Uh, maybe that's how he's sharing it, I don't know, but what, what are the natural ways that we can move into the conversation? What are the natural ways this happens without sounding weird like that? Well, one of the best ways to start a conversation about Jesus is through the avenue of suffering. Everybody has suffering and brokenness in their life, don't they? We all have a vast number of things going on in our life that that are suffering and brokenness, whether it be physical pain, whether it be family dysfunction, whether it be the death of somebody close to us, whether it be depression or anything else. And odds are we're going to mention it in conversation with people, and other people are going to mention it in conversation with us. Well, what's the good news that we have? Jesus came to fix the broken world. He came to fix it all. God made the world good. Sin brought brokenness and suffering into the world. And Jesus came and died and rose again to bring new creation and fix all of that. So now if we'll repent and believe, we can pursue God's design again. That's the gospel. So listen for moments of hearing of brokenness and suffering in their life. And that's your avenue. That's your bridge. Connect it to the gospel in that way. That's, called the, that's a method that, that's been made called the three circles method. I'm not going to go into what the three circles are, but that's the basic thing that they, that they lay out there. Find avenues of brokenness and suffering in the conversation, and that's your springboard to the gospel in a natural way. This is why this is good news. Look, we're, look at the verse. We're, we're, we're publishing good news. We're bringing good news of happiness. The world is broken, and Jesus came to heal it. In fact... With a be- he heals it with a beautiful message on the mountains. How beautiful are the Savior's feet pierced through on a mountain for us. There's a lot of bad news in this world. We must be announcing good news in the midst of it. We have the best news in the world. Why would we not share it? I promise you, if I came into the office tomorrow and found one of the graves out there in the cemetery opened up and the person inside of it alive, standing outside of it, I'd be telling everybody. Like, I'd take a selfie with them or her, and I'd be telling everybody, I'd be calling up people, you're never going to believe what happened when I got to the office today. Well, here's the deal. That actually happened. Jesus is risen. He actually got out of the grave. Why would we not want to tell everybody about that? He, he, he says that we publish it. We, verse 7, we, we publish peace. We bring good news. We publish it. He publishes I'm currently trying to get a book published. I've written it. I've finished up um, all the edits and everything, and I've got it. Um, I'm writing a book proposal for it for a publisher, and then you pass it on to the publisher, and they take it and spend two years with it and finally let you know if they published it or not is how that typically goes. I'm praying they receive that. But here's the question. I've written this book, and I want to get it published, and I've got to go through all these loops with the publisher to get it done. Why don't I just, you know... Go to Xerox, and if I don't know if Xerox still exists, Staples. Why don't I just go to Staples and just print out several copies of it on paper like this? Staple it and just pass it out to people I know. Why don't I do that? Because I want the book to be, wed, to be, to be widely read. I feel like what I've written is worth people um, around the world reading, right? So I want to get it published so it, it goes outside of just the circle of people I know. We publish good news. We get it out to the masses. We want all the world to hear the good news. So what is this good news? It's right there in verse 7. Three things. First, it's good news of of peace and happiness. We publish peace. We bring good news of happiness. It's good news of peace 
and happiness. The word used is similar to the word that you've heard in the Bible, glad tidings of joy. It's, it's what the, um, in Luke chapter 2, when the angels appear to the shepherds and tell them, hey, the Son of God's born, um, it says they bring glad tidings of great joy. That's the same idea here. Good news of great joy for all people is what that verse says. This is good news that is for everybody. Most good news in our world is limited to being good for a particular group of people. This news is for everybody. It's for everybody. It's news of safety, of welfare, and of prosperity for all people. Jesus has come so we can have security in the crazy world that we live. He's come to provide abundant life now and life eternal forever. Secondly, it's a message of salvation. He publishes salvation, verse 7. Saving you from sin and suffering. Jesus bore it all that we can be freed from it. That's the, that the wrath of God won't destroy you. That you can be completely righteous in Christ. That death will have no claim on you. And then finally, we, we've got um, good news of, of peace and happiness, news of salvation, and news of the reign of God. God reigns. Verse 7, he says, announce it to Zion that God reigns. Zion is a, is a fancy word for Jerusalem. That, that's what they called it. It was, on, it was on Mount Zion. That's where Jerusalem is. And he says, tell the entire city. Tell them all. G- g- make sure the whole city knows God reigns. He's the one on the throne. It's not somebody else. It's not a lesser person that you don't trust. God himself is on the throne. Here's the deal. These three things that are the good news, these are all answers to the bad news of our world, isn't it? What, what, is, the, what, what is most of the bad news that we hear? Think about it. Why is it bad? Well, it's the opposite of these three things. It's news that incites anxiety and poverty and destitution. It's news that there's really no hope for you. Something bad is coming and there's no chance of saving you. And there's the news that someone evil is on the throne. And the good news of Jesus answers all of those things. There is good news of peace and happiness. There, there is hope for you. There's salvation for you. And someone evil is not on the throne. God is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the news that none of those things are true. It's not bad news, it's not hopeless news, and it's not news of someone evil on the throne. The gospel answers that. The good news we are given counteracts all the bad news you hear in the world, and people are hungry for this news. They're hungry for it. So we must proclaim it. In the New Testament, Paul quotes this verse in Isaiah 52. In Romans chapter 10, you can turn there. That's where we'll conclude. Romans 10, verses 13 through 15, probably a passage you're familiar with. Romans 10, 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He doesn't quote the verse exactly as it said in Isaiah, but he, he quotes the general idea. Uh, this is why, this is what Paul says. You, you work backwards. Um, the, the feet of people who bring good news are beautiful. 
how we, we've got to send them to preach. They've got to be sent to where they're going to preach. They've got to preach so that people can hear. People have to hear to believe, and people have to believe to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That's the process. That this is why Paul says what he does in verse in chapter ten, because that is beautiful that we would do that. The world needs someone to open their mouth and announce the good news. They can't be saved otherwise. We've got good news. We've got the cure to the cancer of the world. We must proclaim it. We must publish it abroad. When we do that, Isaiah says, in a world of nasty feet, we will have beautiful feet. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for good news. Lord, so often we hear of so much bad news. So many things in this world about um, that, that induce anxiety and poverty and destitution. So much news that there's no hope for us. There, so much news that there's evil men on the throne. And Lord, we know the gospel says none of that is true. It's all undone by the cross of Jesus and by the empty tomb. Lord, we have that good news. And Lord, we all know that if someone we knew came back from the dead, we'd be telling everybody. Well, that, that news is true. Someone we know has come back from the dead. And though we haven't physically seen the empty tomb because it was thousands of years ago, we know it to be true. And so may we look for the areas of our lives that, um, that, that, that you've built bridges for us to be able to share, and may we open our mouths and do so. May we go and do it, take steps from where we are to where we're going and do it, that people may call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, bring someone to mind right now that needs the gospel in our lives that we have a hearing with, and may we open our mouths to them. Lord, it is then and only then that we will truly have beautiful feet, and I pray that for each of us. In Jesus' name.